Good morning. Hello. <laughs> Good morning. It is a great day to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. 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 Let's rise. Sing our praises to him. If you can't sing, you can clap. If you can't clap, it's all right. We'll, it won't throw us off. You can just have fun with it. Uh, let's go ahead and lift the God, uh, God's name up in, in high.
Psalm 119, 105 says, Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. Let's pray together. Father, we're thankful that we can come together this morning for this time of worship, and we're glad that we can gather. Father, as we're here today, let's lift up the name of Jesus together and let's celebrate his presence in our lives. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. 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 Well, good morning. Good to see everybody today. We're glad that you've chosen to worship with us today as we lift up the Lord together. Please, if you get time, make sure you fill out your connection cards. Your connection cards in-house or in the chair in front of you. If you're sitting on the rack row, you'll have to reach in behind you. But please fill one of those out, and we would appreciate that. Or you can do them online. And for those of you who are watching us online, there's a little number at the bottom of the screen. Um, also, whoops, went too far there. At this time, we're going to take a couple minutes to go around and say hello to somebody that you didn't get to meet earlier. So take some time and greet one another. Yeah. 
every battle, every heartbreak, every circumstance. I believe that you are my fortress, you are my portion, you are my hiding place. I believe you are the way, the truth, the life. I believe you are the way, the truth, the life. I believe through every blessing. Every promise, every breath I take, I believe that you are provider, you are protector, you are the one I love. I believe you are the way, the truth, the light.
Romans 8.31. What, then, are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us?
please be seated. This is my thanks. This is my gratitude. This is my tribute. How I say thanks for the things you have done for me. Things so undeserved, yet you gave to prove your love for me. The voices of a million angels cannot express my gratitude. All that I am and ever hope to be, I give it all to thee. To God be the glory. To God be the glory. To God be the glory for the things he has done with his blood. Pretty song, appreciate that. Well, I've got all kinds of toys dropping today. Here we go. 
You know, in the sporting world, we use the term dark horse. It's used of teams and athletes who unexpectedly outperform expectations. We see this all the time. Sometimes in the biggest moments in sports, somebody you just don't expect to shine does shine. Well, some people, they feel like in their, because of their life situation that they're too young, they're too old, or many times they let their past get in the way of allowing them to do something significant in their lives for Christ. They feel like, well, I can't, because of these excuses, I can't let God use me because it would just be a bad thing. In our Dark, Horse, Dark Horses series that we started last week, I hope it can be an encouragement to, for everybody so that we can understand that God will, can and will use all of us. The big idea to this series is that God uses all kinds of people to accomplish his purposes, even you and even me. Each of us has different gifts, we have different strengths, we have different weaknesses, but if we surrender our lives to Christ, we will see what he can do. We can see that he can do amazing things with flawed people like us. When you look throughout your Bible, other than Jesus, anyone who was used by God was flawed. None of them were perfect. No one was perfect. And sometimes we have a tendency to put people in Scripture that we read on a pedestal, thinking, well, I could never obtain that. King David was one of my greatest influences because King David had, he, he had somebody murdered. <laughs> he, had, he committed adultery. He did all kinds of bad things, and God said, there's a man after my own heart. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, really? David was flawed, but he loved God, and God used him. So I figured if he could use him, he could use me too. Well, in the second week of our six-week series, we're going to be looking at the second of our dark horses, one of the lesser, some of the six lesser-known people in Scripture. And today of the dark horse is King Josiah. Now, here's the nerd time. I really like nerd time during the sermon. Um, in the context of 2 Chronicles chapter 34 that we're going to be in, which we're not going to read the whole chapter, I encourage you, though, when you get home to read 2 Chronicles 34, 35, and 36, because they're very, very interesting reading. But anyway, we're going to look at some historical context briefly over what was going on in Jerusalem and, and the southern kingdom during the time that Josiah steps into power. Josiah ruled uh, Judah, the southern kingdom, from about 640 B.C., to 609. He reigned for 31 years. He ascended to the throne at an age of eight years old. His father, King Amnon, was, was murdered two years into his reign, so this is why he jumped in so quickly. At the, time of the, at the time, though, the southern kingdom was experiencing lots of problems. They were having a lot of trouble with their worship. They weren't worshiping God any longer, and the reason this was happening is they were being led this way. The past two kings in the southern kingdom, Manasseh, who was the grandfather of Josiah, was considered the absolute worst king in the nation's history. Josiah's father, Amnon, was also a bad, bad king. Of course, you know, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And what was happening is these two guys ruled for about 55 years, and what ended up happening is they were leading the nation into ruin, into idolatry, into the worship of foreign gods, and what's interesting is this nation at that time that was once following God, you know why they quit doing it? Because they were led by their leaders. And honestly, folks, we need to take that into account when we elect leaders because those leaders have an influence on the nation. And you better ask yourself what kind of influence you want on the nation. But these folks introduced all kinds of religious things that were contrary to God's law. 
they were worshiping Baal, Asherah, and these other Canaanite deities. And along with that worship came, to put it delicately, a lot of debauchery that went on during the worship. It wasn't just come dressed up and come to church and sing some songs. It was nasty what was going on. And there was a segment of people that liked it. It was popular because sin seems to be popular with people. This is the world, the world that Josiah inherited. And by the way, for the past 55 years or so, the temple was being neglected. It was in ruins. It had fallen in disrepair. So from our message today, I hope that we can see that God can use someone despite their heritage and despite their youth to accomplish great things. Josiah gives us a great example of what people, what God can do with people through their lives when they allow themselves to be used by God. And that should give us a lesson that as we look at people, we shouldn't look down on anyone because of their age, whether it's young or old or anywhere in between, or their heritage or their background, because God can use anyone. Our big idea this morning is that God's word is powerful when we apply it to our lives, and God can use anyone, even the youngest of us, to display strength through his word. As I said, we're not going to read the entire 34th chapter, and so I'll try to fill in the gaps of what we don't read, but we're going to begin, going to begin in verses 1 through 3. It says this, Josiah was eight years old when he became king. He reigned for 31 years in Jerusalem. He did, he did what the Lord approved and followed in his ancestor David's footsteps. He did not deviate from the right or the left. In the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his ancestor David. In his twelfth year, he began ridding Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, Asherah poles, idols, and images. So the first thing we're going to see this morning in our passage is this. We're going to look at moving forward, not backward. Now from the first three verses, let's examine this concept of moving forward and not going back. In these first three verses, it really sets the stage for the life of Josiah in his all-important pursuit of God. As we said in the introduction, the nation was an absolute wreck. And, you know, we see some parallels to that where we're living in these days, so it's very, it's very uh, applicable to today. The nation of Israel was divided into two kingdoms after King Solomon died in 931 B.C. You had the northern kingdom, which had ten tribes, and you had the southern kingdom, which was two, which included Jerusalem. Now, um, the northern kingdom had 19 kings during the time it was ex in existence. They ended in 722 B.C. when the Assyrians came in and just and wiped them out. Now, the 19 kings of the northern kingdom, all of them were evil. They were all horrible. Hence, God wiped them out sooner. The southern kingdom, which our text covers, had also 19 kings. They lasted till 586 B.C. when the Babylonians came in and took them over. In the southern kingdom, though, you had a mix of good kings and a mix of bad ones. And what would happen is the evil kings would lead the nation into idol worship, child sacrifices, and all kinds of other pagan debaucheries that were going on within the nation of Israel at that time in the southern kingdom. Of course, God didn't like this. As the time of Josiah approached, he would come in on the heels of two of the worst kings in the southern kingdom's history, Manasseh and his father Amnon. Imagine, imagine when you had eight-year-olds and all of a sudden they're king. <laughs> that, that's bizarre. But imagine, too, stepping into that mess. I'm sure they were $35 trillion in debt and everything else that was going anyway, um, It was a mess. And here, this eight year old, I wonder what the expectations for Josiah was at that time. 
I mean, when people look at him, they knew his grandfather and his father. They knew how evil those guys were. I wonder if they thought, well, you know what? A chip off the old block, probably. Eh, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. I suspect the expectations for Josiah were very low. Based on his age and the heritage of his father and his grandfather, on the outside, it really doesn't look like Josiah, for those who wanted the nation restored, it really doesn't look like he's going to bring much hope. Because, I mean, what's an eight-year-old going to do? What's a kid going to do that has that kind of heritage? And as I said before, I think there was a segment of the Jewish society at that time that really liked all the pagan worship because they made it, they made it appealing. It was rough. If God was looking for somebody to bring the nation back to its roots, an eight-year-old with a horrible family legacy would probably not be the one we would pick. Probably not the right person for the job. But despite Josiah's age and his background, in the eighth year of his reign, at 16 years old, now imagine, some of you do have 16-year-olds. Imagine what it would be like. Now, today we couldn't get them to rule because we can't get them out of the phones. But anyway, um, at 16, Josiah put down his phone and he started a pursuit of the Lord, of his ancestor David. Some versions say his father David. That, that's a word that means ancestor. He, David wasn't literally his father. But he was from the line of David, so he has a direct lineage to David. We don't know what sparked his interest. I mean, based on his background and his age, you know, how many 16, you know, kids from 8 to 16 are on fire for God? I mean, were you at that age? Some are. But considering his background, he had no example of what it meant to be on fire for God. Something snapped, something changed in him. And the verse, but verse 2 tells us that, that Josiah did not deviate from the path of his, of his ancestor David from the right or the left. Moving forward and not looking back means it implies that we don't allow the past to stop us from being used by God. It would be so easy for Josiah to say, well, my dad was an evil guy and my grandpa was an evil guy. I think I'm just going to have to be like them. It's going to be easier. It also meant not letting that heritage get in the way of moving forward with God. At age 16, something changed in this young man. This journey with God led him to cleansing Jerusalem of the past 55 years of idol worship and pagan worship. And when he did this, he was 20 years old because at 16 he started the pursuit. And then at 20, he started making some changes. How often have we held back allowing God to use us because something in our past keeps haunting us? I fought that battle for a while. I kept thinking based on some of my background, I think, well, there's no way God's going to use me or one day this is going to come back and bite me. And then you start to realize that you can't live that way. You've got to move forward. Fear holds us back. Satan uses that to keep you from doing things for God. God can use you to do things in his kingdom. And when we talk about doing things that's significant, we're not talking about, you, you may not be the next, next Billy Graham, but who knows, you may bring somebody to Christ who will eventually bring the next one to Christ. You don't know. So anything that you do for God and that God uses you for is significant. Sometimes we just look at the big ticket things and think, well, unless I've just you know, brought 10,000 people to Christ, I'm worthless. No, there's a lot of guys in pulpits that feel that way. You know, they see the guys in the big churches and they're just, oh, I'm in a church of 25. And, but those people in the church of 25, man, they, sometimes they're doing as much or more for the kingdom than the guy in the church of 5,000 because they're impacting lives. How often are we held back because of our past? Moving forward says, I'm not going to let that stop me. Our past can, can, our past can form us based on the past actions we saw. 
abusers. Now, I know somewhere along the line somebody started it, but you realize abusers usually, usually come from abusive situations. Guys who beat on their wives, they saw their dad do it, who saw his dad do it, who saw his dad do it. Now, like I said, somebody started that horrible trend, but some people were raised in that, so what do they do? They do what they saw. Now, other times our past can become a catalyst for growth and change. In other words, you could be raised in that same situation and come out and be a, a, a wonderful human being because you say, that's not what I'm supposed to do, and I'm not going to allow myself to do that, and I'm going to change from that. Josiah took the brave stance that I'm not going to be like my father and grandfather. I admire people who have a bad heritage, a bad background, and they go forth and change. That's hard to do. That stuff gets imprinted into you, and it's hard to break from it. And I just admire people that say, you know what? I'm not going to be what my past was. I'm going to learn from that past, and I'm going to grow. <laughs> I really don't think much was expected of Josiah. And I think we can honestly say as we look at the passage, he's definitely, gonna, he's definitely proved to be a dark horse. So let's pop down to verse 14. Now, just a quick little fill in between verses 3 and verses 14. At this time, Josiah was starting to grow closer to God, and he looked around and he saw things he's trying to make some changes but he saw the temple was in bad shape and so he commissioned some people to take care of the temple and this is where he talks about the silver in a moment they use that to help pay for that along with taxing people so anyway let's look at uh, verses 14 through 20, 21 it says this when they took the silver that had been brought out of the lord's temple hilkiah the priest found the, the law scroll the lord had given to moses Hilkiah informed Shaphan, the scribe, I found the law scroll in the Lord's temple. Hilkiah gave the scroll to Shaphan. Shaphan brought the scroll to the king and reported, Your servants are doing everything you assigned to them. They melted down the silver in the Lord's temple and handed it over to the supervisors and the construction foremen. Then Shaphan, the scribe, told the king, Hilkiah, the priest, has given me, the, has given me a scroll. Shaphan read it out loud before the king. When the king heard the words of the law, he tore his clothing. The king ordered Hilkiah, um, Ahiakam, and Shaphan, Abdon, the son of Micah, Shaphan the scribe, and Azariah, the king's servant, go and ask the Lord for me and for those who remain in Israel and Judah about the words of this scroll that has been discovered. And the Lord's great fury, excuse me, for the Lord's great fury has been ignited against us because our ancestors then obey the word of the Lord by living according to all that's written in this scroll. So the next thing we see from his life is moving forward with rewards. As Josiah's reign progressed, he hits the age, when he was the age of 20, he commanded that the temple be repaired. He saw that it was in bad shape and he wanted to repair it. 2 Chronicles 34 describes his efforts to restore the temple in Jerusalem. About six years into the renovations, we're looking at about 622 B.C., the high priest Hilkiah discovered the book of the law, which basically was the Pentateuch at that time, uh, and he found it in the temple. Now, this discovery had a profound impact on Josiah at the young age of 26. Now, 26 is still a young man. Hilkiah gave the scroll to the, to the scribe Shaphan, who read this scroll to Josiah. When Josiah heard the reading of the word, he tore his clothes. This was a sign of, of mourning, of sorrow, because he realized 
he realized just how far the nation had strayed away from God, and he was devastated by it. He knew that the nation was a mess. So Josiah asked a group of people in verse 20 to go seek the Lord and find out what's going to happen. So in verses 22 and following, this group sought the counsel of a prophetess, Hilda. And when they went to her, here's what was said. We find this in verse 24. This is what the Lord God of Israel says. Say to this man who sent, who sent you to me, this is what the Lord says. I'm about to bring disaster on this place and its residents. All the curses that are recorded in the scroll, which they read before the king of Judah. This will happen because they abandoned me and offered sacrifices to other gods, angering me with all the idols they've made. My anger will ignite against this place and will not be extinguished. Say to the king of Judah, who sent you to seek an oracle from the Lord, this is what the Lord God of Israel says concerning the words that you have heard. You displayed a sensitive spirit and humbled yourself before God when you heard the words concerning this place and its residents. You humbled yourself before me, tore your clothes and wept before me, and I have heard you, says the Lord. Therefore, I will allow you to die and be buried in peace. You will not have to witness all the disaster I will bring on this place and its residents. Then, then the people, excuse me, then they reported back to the king. So what the prophet has told the people to go tell Josiah is, yes, the nation's going to pay for this. They perform so much evil that I'm going to have to do something and my anger is not going to be extinguished. And honestly, folks, even today, this should be a lesson for all nations. We can't, as a nation, we can't keep drifting further and further and further and further away from God and expect to be blessed. One day, $35 trillion turns into 70. And one day, my kids, my grandkids, your kids and your grandkids are going to pay for it. As we throw God further and further out of our society, there's going to come a day of reckoning. And we have to, under, we have to realize that. And as Christians, it's up, it's up to us to make sure that we try to be a light to the world and not just get along with the world. Because there's some tough things that need to be said, and we have to be willing to say them. Well, he tell, she tells Josiah, the nation's going to pay for this. It's going to get destroyed. But she further goes on and says, because of the humility and your, basically your heart for God and your desire to get things on track, it's not going to happen during your lifetime. You're going to die during a time of peace because you were, you were seeking to do what's right. And so Josiah, as he moves forward, he's moving forward with blessings. Now, just from a historical standpoint, Josiah would live to be 39 years old. In 609 B.C., the, he made an ill-advised attempt to interfere with a military campaign against Pharaoh Necho of Egypt. And that's a whole other story. But anyway, Josiah goes into battle, and he was wounded with an arrow in Megiddo. And so you should read that. I think it's in about late chapter 35. But God kept his promise to Josiah. The nation was good under Josiah, and his efforts were strong. We'll read about those in a moment. But despite his efforts, in the long run, the nation just kept going back. The scripture tells us a dog returns to its own vomit, which is really gross, but they do. And this is what the nation did. As soon as Josiah dies, the more, they mourn for him a while and back to the way it used to be. Really sad. The nation in 586 B.C. was destroyed by the, by the Babylonian conquest. So as we move forward with God, when you are willing to throw your past behind you and not be a slave to it, to be transformed and allow God to work with you, you'll go forward with blessings. And this is what Josiah did. He had great blessings in his life. 
Let's drop down to verses 31 through 34. 33, it says this. Now, what's happened here is after the reading of the, of the scripture and of the stuff that we looked at, Josiah gathers all the people. And this is where he, he, and he also, before this, commits to God that he's going to follow God all the days of his life. So verse 31, the king stood by his pillar and renewed the covenant before the Lord, agreeing to follow the Lord and obey his commands, laws, rules, with all of his heart and being, by carrying, by carrying out the terms of this covenant recorded on the scroll. He made all who were in Jerusalem and Benjamin agree to it. The residents of Jerusalem acted in accordance with the covenant of God, the God of their ancestors. Josiah removed all the detestable idols from the, all the areas belonging to the Israelites, encouraged all who were in Israel to worship the Lord their God. Throughout the rest of his reign, they did not turn aside from following the Lord God of their ancestors. So the thing that we see here is we see moving forward requires courage, moving forward with courage. Now, when you think about this situation, Josiah was so moved by the finding of the scroll when he was, about, uh, that when he was 26, he starts instituting changes. He renewed the covenant with the Lord. He agreed to follow the Lord, obey his commands and his laws. And here's what's important with all of his heart. For Josiah, this wasn't just a, a religious show. It wasn't something to impress people. But with all of his heart, he was going to follow God. And really, this is something that even applies to us yet today. Why are you following God? What are you, why are you doing what you're doing? Whether it's preaching, in the band, uh, being an usher, whatever, praying, giving. Why are you doing these things? Are you doing them for any other reason than the fact that you love the Lord? Because when you love the Lord, it changes why you do what you do. You're not trying to seek all the glory yourself. You're trying to give it to God because you know who you serve. So many times, unfortunately, sometimes folks in church are doing things with ulterior motives, and it ends up hurting everybody. But here we find that Josiah is doing this with all of his heart. He made the decision to do it. God didn't put a gun to his head and said, you're going to do this. He wanted to follow him. This was a change of heart. Second Chronicles 34, verses 29 through 33 describes the actions that he took after hearing God's word. He gathered all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. He read the book of the law to them. He made a covenant with God to follow his commandments. And then he removed all the idols, all the stuff associated with all that garbage from the temple and from the land. Josiah, like I said, wasn't looking for anything other than to serve God with all of his heart. Josiah's conviction led him to convict the rest of the nation to do the same thing. Verse 32 says that the residents of Jerusalem acted in accordance with the covenant of God. This young man with a bad heritage, a bad background, eight years old when he took over the throne after his father was assassinated, here's what he did. Look at verse 33 one more time. Josiah removed all the detestable idols from the areas belonging to the Israelites and encouraged all who were in Israel to worship the Lord their God. Throughout, and this is the key, throughout the rest of his reign, they did not turn aside from following the Lord, the Lord God of their ancestors. This dark horse far exceeded expectations because I don't know if anybody expected this out of this young man. And the thing is, what he was going to do took a great deal of courage because he was going to go in and make a major change to the country. And in doing that, it was going to upset some people. 
Because I'm sure some people enjoyed the pagan way of life. Hey, sin can be fun. And he made, and, and these other folks made it fun. And he was going to quote unquote take away their fun, although that's not really what was going on. But that's how people who are enjoying their sin see it. You're going to take away my fun? You know, you can't do that. And you're going to get resistance. But yet he had the courage to do that. This one young man changed a nation. And you see, you look at our nation today, I don't think too many of us can, you really can't argue we're in a mess, that we're not in a mess right now. It's not just happened today. It's been, it's been ongoing. We're in a mess right now. Why? Because we have chosen leaders who led us into this mess. And as the church, we've just sat back and said, well, I'm just waiting for Jesus to come back. I'm not going to get involved because I'm a Christian. I'm supposed to keep my mouth shut and just wait for Jesus to come back. Yeah, we're supposed to wait for Jesus to come back, but we're supposed to do something in the meantime. And as Christians, we have to be involved in our society. We have to be involved in our government. And if you don't get involved in either one of those, don't complain about what you get. Because as Christians, we have to have the courage to stand strong for our faith. And we need to support people that stand for Christ. Instead of just, well, you know, they got a letter behind their name, so i got to vote for them. It's crazy. We have ourselves to blame for the mess that we're in right now. You know, right now we catch some grief about being a Christian but I've actually heard media say that Christians are worse than Hamas can you can you believe that that's where we've come and don't you think that one day it's going to keep getting worse as the media keeps fueling their ignorant fires and it's going to get harder and harder to follow Christ what are you going to do you're just going to go along to get along you're just going to sit back in the church and say, I hope Jesus comes back you know or are we going to do something are we going to do something? Are we going to let God use us to move a nation? There's more than one Christian in this country. And if we all, if we all stand united and support the work of God, and I'm not saying make everybody be a Christian. I am not, in, I'm not talking about a theocracy. I'm just talking about doing what's right. If we stand for what's right, which is the side of the Lord, things will change. This world's always going to be a mess, but it could be a lot less messy if Christians would get out of their pews and quit clinging to the fact that, well, we're not supposed to be involved. We're supposed to be submissive to the governing authorities and just sit back and let us get train wrecked. See, what would have been easy for Josiah? Think about this for a minute. Josiah knew what was going to happen to the nation. The prophetess told him, hey, this nation's going down. He didn't know when. He knew it wouldn't be in his lifetime. So really what he could have done is he could have said, well, you know what? I know it's not going to happen in my lifetime. I'm just going to sit back and live the good life and follow the Lord you know, figuratively wait for Jesus to return. But he didn't. He knew what was going to happen. He knew, and God says, my anger is not going to be extinguished. So why did he even go to the trouble of trying to bring the nation back? Why? Because it's the right thing to do. Under his watch, he wanted to make sure that nation was as great as it could be. He didn't just sit back and say, well, it's going to be okay while I'm alive. I'm just going to just live my life and die and, you know, whatever happens. And I think today's Christians, we're so much, well, you know, we're going to wait for the Lord to return. Don't care what happens to my grandkids or my, my kids' future. Could care less about that as long as I get what I want. See, we have to have the courage to step out and say, wrong is wrong, no matter what letter's behind it. Right is right, no matter what letter's behind it. Do you, you see where I'm coming from? Josiah took a lot of courage to try to change a nation. It takes courage to move forward with God. In our country, we're going to see that it's going to take more and more courage the way things are going. 
Josiah's remarkable life teaches us a couple things. Number one, that good examples are not essential to living a righteous and impactful life. He didn't have them, but look what he did because he moved forward. He didn't just say, well, you know, my, my family was horrible, so I'm going to be horrible too. The other thing that we see is that no matter what age you are, you can make an impact. You know, some of the youngest kids that we have around here can make an impact. We just got to give them the courage to do it and give them the okay to do it. Our teens, you guys can make an impact. You guys are going to be running the, you guys are going to be running the show one day when we're long gone. How are you going to run it? You're not going to run it from your phones. You got to be involved. You got to be engaged. You got to understand that God will use you in a big way if you let him because you've got great potential. Our young people have great potential. We just got to let them exercise that potential. We've got to inspire them. We've got to be able to show them it's okay to be leaders and not just like, well, you're just a dumb teenager. What do you know? We need to give them that power. No matter what age you are, you can make a difference. Josiah's reforms were a sincere attempt to restore the nation's faithfulness to God, to reverse the consequences that idolatry and wickedness had plagued the kingdom for years. Josiah knew ultimately what was going to happen in 586. It did a few years after his death. But one person can make a difference despite your background, in spite of your age. The question is, will you be willing to be that person? Our praise team is going to come up this morning and lead us in a song of decision. And if you've not accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we invite you to come forward this morning to do it. It just amazes me what God can do with people when we open ourselves to allow that to happen. The enemy is always going to tell you you're not good enough, you're not smart enough, you're not this or you're not that. Quit listening to that garbage and just let yourself be used by God. Well, you don't know my background. I don't care. God doesn't care either. He will use you. Let him do it. This morning, if you have a decision to make for Christ, we invite you to come forward this morning. If you're an immersed believer and would like to make First Christian your home, we'd love to have you come forward this morning. And if you need some prayer, if you come forward, I'd be glad to pray with you. But at this time, let's stand together and sing our song of decision, Great Things. been faithful through every 
every storm. You'll be faithful forevermore. You have done great things. And I know you will do it again. For your promise is yes and amen. You will do great things. God, you do This is a time when we take the time during our communion time to remember this, the, great, the greatest thing, if you will, that Jesus ever did, and that is he died on the cross so that we could have eternal life. And part of that wasn't just dying on a cross, but he ra was raised on the third day because a dead guy can't do much for you, can he? But one who's alive and seated at the right hand who defeated death has done great things. And... God loved you so much that he allowed his son to go to the cross. His son willingly went to that cross so that his blood would be shed so that we could have eternal life. And I don't know what greater gift that we could have than having eternal life. And the beauty of eternal life, it's not just about one day going to heaven, which we're looking forward to. It's going to be awesome. But it's also having Jesus as our Lord and Savior right now, living for him right now, having blessings from him right now, knowing he's with us right now. 
So yes, there's a future in waiting for us in heaven, but we have a life on earth to live, and it's great to know that he's, because of his great things, he's with us. That we're not praying to somebody who's in a tomb, as all the other religious folks do around the world. They're, they're praying to dead people. Dead people died. They didn't defeat anything. Death beat them, but Jesus defeated death. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity we have to come around the table this morning to celebrate this time of communion where we remember that the cup represents the blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross for our sins and that the bread represents his body that was bruised and battered that took, where he took the punishment that we deserved. He relieved us from that. He did something that we are incapable of doing for ourselves. He shed his perfect blood so that we could have forgiveness and have eternal life through his blood. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. On the inside of your bulletin, we have announcements um, for this week. Um, today at 6 p.m., we're going to have an Operation Christmas Child packing party and also Monday at 10 a.m. Uh, we need to have our your Operation Christmas Child boxes in the week of the 13th. I think by November 14th, you need to have them here. So if you bring them after that, they'll still take them, but you really need to have them here by the 13th. We have a Thanksgiving dinner next Sunday, and we encourage you to sign up. Uh, you can see the announcement about that. Operation Christmas Child, still looking for some donations, scissors, and soap. The Lady Spa Ministry is going for a nature walk next Saturday at 2 p.m., and they're going to car, carpool uh, to Ramsey Canyon. We'll meet here at the church, I'm assuming. What time you? 
Where's Jules at? I'm sorry, the, the light, I can't see very well. What, what time are you meeting here? Oh, you're meeting here at 2 o'clock. Okay. Okay. So 145. No, anyway, 2 o'clock then. Um, Also, we have our Bible studies this week. Um, We have Jerry has all of his youth activities this evening. Um, Also, there was one other thing I wrote down. Oh, the Thanksgiving dinner. We need some help setting up Friday morning if anybody's available at 9 a.m. Take about an hour. So if you're available then, uh, come by the church and we'll get some guys to put, to put you to work. Another thing, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, okay. Sunday. My bad. Hey, that's what it says here, doesn't it? Sorry. Hey. I just glanced at it. This is my bad. Let's see, that's what threw me off. It's not my fault. I'm dumb. But anyway. So next Sunday, 2 o'clock. So get your lunch done quick. Wait a minute. Isn't next Sunday when the... Isn't that the Thanksgiving dinner? Okay, because next week's the 12th. Okay. Yeah, today's the 5th, so the next week's the 12th, and another 7 to the... Gotcha. Okay. All right. All right. I don't have a calendar in front of me, so I'm just guessing. Um, But anyway, so make sure you're able to do that. Also, um, oh, yes, I wanted to show you something else. Okay. We've had uh, all that buildings over in the other part. We've had new roofing's been done not too long ago. We've had a lot of this done. A few years ago, we had the front flat roofs. We haven't done the back ones and they're the ones over the offices and the stuff. So they're getting bad. We've had a lot of leakage. You can't see a lot from here, but um, we're getting these taken care of. Uh, they're gonna be completely redone because if they don't, we're gonna keep having problems. We have uh, air conditioning units on that have to be lifted off with a crane. And then what's happened as a result of that, that's Crystal's office. And that's, my office got the least of it. And there's more of Crystal's office. There's Jerry's office. <coughs> Luckily, we haven't had black mold. Yeah, that's, it's, a, it's a new trend in style. So anyway, what we've done, and just so particularly for you folks who are here as guests today, we are not going to harp on this. I want to bring it up so the congregation knows. We contracted a, a place to do it. All the work that's going to get done is going to cost about $46,000. Um, we've got the money, but we're asking anybody who can, if you can contribute to the building fund above and beyond what you're normally able to give, to help offset some of the costs, that'd be a blessing. The only other thing you're going to hear about this is when we give you an update that it's done. So here at First Christian, we don't nag people for money on that stuff. Yes, sir? Uh-oh, uh-oh. Darn, I don't like caveats.
Good, I thought I was going to get stuck with it. You know, I'm, like, I'm getting old, my back hurts, so I need some help. So anyway, that's, uh, that's what we have going on. Just want to let you know, so if you can help with that, that'd be great. Uh, that, I think that's all the announcements that we have. Oh, one other thing, the, um, it didn't get in the bulletin. The um, Sunshine Ladies are going to meet at Culver's at 11 o'clock next Saturday. So if you'd like to be a part of that, you can go. All right, on the back of your bulletin, we have our prayers. You can see this. We're, we thank everybody who contributed in any way to the Harvest Party. We gave out 186 bags, which means we had at least 186 kids here. It's a little lower than what we've had in past years, but weather and all kinds of other things probably contributed to that. Plus, we used to be the only church in town that does this. Now a lot of them do, which is really good. But we had a, light, a great turnout. We had people who were here working for like all day long, the day of, the day after, and we had people who contributed in many ways. So thank you so much. Uh, if you've never been to one of our horse parties, you need to come. It's just fun to be around the kids. So anyway, we thank you for that. We have special concerns we've been praying for. We have troops who are deployed. Some are going to be in the, in the, in the Israel area, uh, in the water out there. So uh, be, bring, be praying for their safety. We have shut-ins that we've been praying for. We're also praying for Operation Christmas Child and Santa on the West End. And we are lifting up all the missions we support. So at this time, let's stand together. I'll lead us in a word of prayer, and the band will lead us out with a song. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity we have to come here today, and we, we thank you for everybody who's participated in any way with our harvest party. We thank you for the fact that we can give something back to the community in that way. Lord, I pray that as we leave this place this week, that we leave it with courage and conviction, and Lord, that we just show the love of Jesus to everybody around us, and that we also tell them why we have this great love. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.